It's 6 Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific, coast to coast and around the world. I'm not a doctor, but I have a PhD in recognizing bullshit when I hear it. From the America Out Loud Talk Radio Studios. The American people are not feeling very loved right now, though. They're not they're not feeling heard by the Biden administration. It's time for The Truth Be Told with Booker Scott. You better pay attention now because the sky is falling again. More continued resolutions as they resolve nothing. There are more government shutdowns coming. They've kicked the can down the road. The end of the road is this week, March 1st and March 8th. More deadlocked government. And who pays? The American people, you and me, are paying the price. I'm Booker Scott, and this is The Truth Be Told here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here every weekday night at 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific. And then, of course, there is an encore show every morning. The following morning, if you're listening on Tuesday night like tonight, you can hear it on Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. And thank you so much for being here. This hour is brought to you by Gold Co. I'm happy to partner with them. All you have to do is go to BookerLikesGold.com. Check it out. See if it's something that could help you and uh, save your savings and help you diversify in that. It's BookerLikesGold.com. So let me ask you this. Why in the world would Schumer and the Democrats in the Senate ever pass anything that reduces spending unless they are forced to? When Republicans won control of the House of Representatives in the 22 midterms, remember that? A lot of people said there was going to be a big wave, big, big red wave, and there wasn't. Uh, You know, they had 10 or 12 seats more than the Democrats. It was enough to get some things done, but they really weren't even prepared for what they had. And we saw that as, as the 118th Congress has gone on. When the Republicans won control of the House of Representatives in the 22 midterms, uh, one would have thought the overspending of Nancy Pelosi's house would have ended. That would be common sense. We would have thought that. But here we are. Over a year into this 118th Congress, and the Republicans, they are still spending Nancy Pelosi's budget and her money. And really, it's your money, it's your taxes. America is over $34 trillion in debt. We are spending $6.2 trillion every year, while our revenue is a little under $4.5 trillion, which is where that term deficit spending comes from. We're spending $1.7 trillion more than we take in every year. And how long could your family survive like that? That's, that's not rhetorical. Think about that. We're spending $1.7 trillion more than we take in. About a quarter, 25% more. What family in America would continue to do that month after month, year after year? We would be in bad trouble quickly. But for some reason, the people that run our country, the people that we elect to represent us, they have no problem with spending our children and grandchildren's money. In 2024, debt payments alone will eclipse the defense spending in the budget for the first time ever at $800 billion. When the Republicans took over from Pelosi, uh, they had no budget. They weren't ready. They had nothing ready to go. And when it was time for all of the appropriations to end at the end of September last year, every year at the end of September, 
there is supposed to be a budget and appropriations already passed. Well, that passed months and months ago, and now they've started all of these continuing resolutions. And what exactly does a continuing resolution mean? Well, it just means we're going to keep on spending what we agreed to a couple of years ago because we can't get our act together. It means there is no budget for fiscal year 2024, which started in October of 23. What is it the Republicans are continuing? Well, it's the budget passed by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in 2022 and signed into law by Joe Biden. That $6.2 trillion that we're spending every year. The budget prior to COVID, when Trump was president, it was about $4.4 trillion. And I ask a lot, uh, what are we actually getting for that extra money? And, and I'm serious. We're spending an extra $1.7 trillion more than we were just four years ago. What, what other goods and services, what other things are the American people getting for that? I, I can't see it. Can you? Maybe, it is, maybe the illegal immigrants are getting it. They seem to be getting a lot. And why can't we go back to the $4.4 trillion now? Do you want to know why? Because the Republicans in the House of Representatives are afraid to say no and shut down parts of the U.S. government to use as leverage to bring spending in line. And that's really what it's all about. Politically, the Republicans cower. They're afraid it will cost them seats in the next election because the Democrats are masters at casting the blame to others. And they're doing it right now. They're doing it on the border bill. You remember that a couple of weeks ago. They're doing it on Ukraine spending. We have to save Ukraine because, because of Eastern Europe. We have an obligation. But we also have to do it to deter China from taking over Taiwan, which we already know from Xi. He said in December they're going to do it anyway. Uh, but anyway, I got off track. Uh, politically, the Republicans cower. I'm talking about all this now because more deadlines are coming. I mentioned it. March 1st, March 8th. There are deadlines coming. and It's going to be interesting to watch what happens. There's one March 1st and then another March 8th where the government may shut down if a continuing resolution or an agreed-upon 2024 budget is passed and signed by Biden. Now, what month are we in? We're already in February. And I remember asking this question over a year ago when the Republicans took over in the House in January of 2023. Let's see if you have a budget by the end of September. And here I am in February 2024 asking if the Republicans can have a budget for 2024 now, when it's time to go to work for 2025. Do you think they're going to have a budget by the end of September this year? For 2025? Yeah, the chances are they are not. But now back to the original question where we started this hour. Why would Schumer and the Democrats ever pass anything that reduces their original spending under Nancy Pelosi? They're not going to. I'll answer that for you. As long as the Republicans continue to pass these CRs, continuing resolutions, Schumer and the Democrats will gladly go along with it because it pays for all of their projects. Uh, you know, the projects that are important to the liberal Marxists, 
And the Republicans are just playing along because politically, they are afraid they'll lose their seats. What does it matter if they lose seats if all they're going to do is spend like Nancy Pelosi? The Nell and Kevin McCarthy's vacate the chair move was him raising the debt ceiling to spend an extra $3 trillion in just two years. And if you remember back to then, McCarthy was trying to get a spending bill through at $5.7 trillion and put spending caps on things as things moved forward. Again, why not stand up right now, shut down some of these areas of government to get spending closer to where it was before COVID and within the means of the country with only $4.5 trillion in revenue? Schumer and Democrats, they're enjoying the Republican control of the House more than anyone, aren't they? The only leverage the Republicans have is a government shutdown, regardless of the politics. What's important? The financial health and security of the nation for our children and grandchildren, and even our great-grandchildren at this point, or a seat in the House that, to this point, means absolutely nothing. And there are some Republican senators now that are coming up with a new strategy for this continuing resolution and a budget for 2024. It probably won't go anywhere because it is people like Senator Mike Lee from Utah and Senator Rick Scott of Florida. In fact, Governor Rick Scott wrote an article in The Hill recently, and here here is some of that. Over the last, this is Governor Rick Scott, or Senator Rick Scott now. Over the last four months, the United States Senate has spent more time crafting a bill to fund the government of Ukraine than it has to fund the government of the United States. It's hard to believe that that has happened, especially considering that we now are just days away from a government shutdown deadline with no clear plans from Senate leadership to address it. To keep the government open and avoid another massive omnibus spending bill like the $1.7 trillion bill with more than 7,500 reckless earmarks that was jammed down our throats without any time for amendments or scrutiny in December of 2022. Senate and House Republicans must embrace a clean, full-year continuing resolution. Now, that's an interesting thought. And this is the same thing that Mike Lee said. Rick Scott and Mike Lee are very close together on this. They're talking about a full-year, clean, continuing resolution. They both say that it will save about $100 billion. I'm not so sure on that. And again, I think the leverage comes from the government shutdown. I'll look at what exactly services would be shut down, because there is a lot of misinformation. When you hear government shutdown, it's like everything is going to stop. And that's not the case. The Tenth Amendment makes sure that some things are going to be paid for. And in fact, those are the only things that the federal government should pay for, according to our Constitution and the amendments. We'll go on with Senator Rick Scott. And I'm from Florida, so I always almost call him Governor Rick Scott. He says, I'm not a fan of CRs. I think CRs are a terrible way to govern which is why I have fought since I got elected in 2018 to pass the No Budget, No Pay Act. This bipartisan bill would make it the law that members of Congress must fulfill their basic job requirements and pass the annual budget resolutions and appropriation bills on time 
not just fund the government with CRs. Another thing that Senator Rick Scott put in this article was all 12 appropriations bill for 2024 have now been passed in the House of Representatives, and they are sitting in the Senate, where Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, neither one of them are taking them up to do amendments and bring them back to the House so that there can actually be a budget. That's really their only job. That's Congress's job, to pass a budget to fund the government. The Senate has all of those, and all they have to do is bring them to the floor to vote and make amendments. And at that point, it would go back to the House with any changes to them. And then the House can pass them, and then it would go to the president for the signature. And then the budget is done. But for some reason, they would rather continue spending Nancy Pelosi's budget from a couple of years ago. Isn't that interesting? And Speaker of the House Mike Johnson is also weighing in to this as he will feel the pressure to come up with some solution. Here is what he put out in a post. Despite the counterproductive rhetoric in leader Chuck Schumer's letter, the House has worked nonstop and is continuing to work in good faith to reach an agreement with the Senate on compromised government funding bills in advance of these coming deadlines. Our position is that the American people and our mission is to take steps to rein in Democrats' overspending and policies that are harming the economy, raising prices, and making everyday life harder for our constituents. He goes on, Leader Schumer's letter fails to mention that many of the points still being debated come from new Democrat demands that were not previously included in the Senate bills. At a time of divided government, Senate Democrats are attempting at this late stage to spend on priorities that are farther left than what their chamber agreed upon. This is not a time for petty politics. House Republicans will continue to work in good faith and hope to reach an outcome as soon as possible, even as we continue to insist that our own border security must be addressed immediately. So if there is a government shutdown, it may slow down buying a house. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, all those checks continue, but benefit verifications may be suspended during a shutdown. Understand that. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, they continue. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, that's SNAP funding, that is mandatory. But benefits may stop altogether after 30 days of a shutdown. So even if the March 1 and the March 8 date happen, there's still an additional 30 days after that. The funding is there for the SNAP program, so don't listen to them. Food and environmental inspections through the FDA and the Environmental Protection Agency, they would likely be halted or reduced. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as the National Institutes of Health, could also see reduced operations, but they're not shut down completely. And you may ask, when was the last time that the government was shut down? Well, it's happened 21 times since 1976. The most recent... It was December 22nd, 2018, and it lasted until January 25th, over a month, 34 days. However, most past shutdowns, they lasted less than a week. So it is normal. It is part 
of what we have become used to in our country in a government that has two sides that can't work together and can't do the job that they're supposed to do by September 29th of every calendar year prior to the new fiscal year in the government. So don't let them scare you with this rhetoric. There needs to be a government shutdown this time. It's the only thing that the Republicans in the House of Representatives have. Another continuing resolution just continues $6.2 trillion in spending against $4.4 trillion. Don't let the government shutdown scare you. Everything will continue on. It's continued on 21 times since 1976. It's all the Republicans have. Among all the other things we have to worry about right now, it looks like the government's pushing for a digital dollar, which could mean every penny you spend could be tracked, controlled. The government could be watching it. If that's true, then your entire life could depend on people you don't know, you don't like, and you don't trust. That's why smart Americans are opting out. And they're putting some of their savings into real gold and silver. So to help you... You can go to BookerLikesGold.com to get a free 2024 gold IRA kit from my new partners at GoldCo. It it shows how to protect your hard-earned money with physical gold and silver, even if it's still in a retirement account. And as an American citizen, you could score up to $10,000 in free silver just for safeguarding your savings. At the very least, arm yourself with knowledge about your options here. Don't be a sheep. Go to BookerLikesGold.com now to get your free 2024 gold IRA kit right now. Coming up, we're going to have a conversation with the great Michael Johns. And he's going to share some information about the World Economic Forum, ESG, and a whole lot more as we get into that conversation. More truth in minutes on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Fight back with Heal Right. Heal Right is a bar you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Take action today. Visit HealRight.com slash OutLoud or AmericaOutloud.shop and use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. On the way tonight at 7, it is Unleashed, the political news hour, followed by the National Security Hour. And then it is After Dark at 9 o'clock Eastern Time with Robin Andrews. I am Booker Scott. This is The Truth Be Told. Thank you so much for joining us on this Tuesday evening. I hope you're having a great week so far. 
And you know, last month was Davos and the World Economic Forum. And uh, it went from a conspiracy theory at one point to uh, what we have now and trying to get to a one world government and some scary things. And this next guy that I want to bring on to the show is really, I don't know where to start with his career because it's been a long one and a great one when it comes to politics and policies. Uh, all the way back to when he was a speechwriter for George Bush. He also worked for the Heritage Foundation, wrote the white paper on apartheid. And of course, he also was one of the 12 founders of the National Tea Party way back. His name is Michael Johns. Michael, welcome back to the program. Pleasure to be back with you, Booker. Um, and uh, thanks for all you're doing. And you know, Michael, I just mentioned there a conspiracy theory of the World Economic Forum it goes back 50 years with Klaus Schwab. I think 1973 is when it started. Is it something we should be afraid of? Just kind of give us an overview of the World Economic Forum. Yeah, I mean, I mean if you start start with loose assessment, which I think is a broadly held sentiment, you know, that among Americans, maybe not engaged every day professionally in public policy or politics, there's a general sense of unease about the direction of things and that's for good reason and that is that not only is nothing really moving in the positive direction but a lot of the underlying foundations that we've come to rely on those institutions and and historically in the united states leaders that we've been able to call upon in moments of crisis and uncertainty are really shrinking from responsibility and, you know, so if you sort of said, well, all of these negative developments that are occurring in the United States, um, some of which are, you know, global in nature or domestic in nature, who is ultimately pulling the strings? Who's ultimately behind all this? I think the answer, in fairness, is probably no singular entity or force. But I would I would say that China's Communist Party uh, important to remember that it's a, a very elite number, ultimately a dictatorship, been in power since 1949, has gained an extraordinary amount of leverage in the United States. And by that, I mean economic leverage and uh, geopolitical leverage and, um, you know, some believe, uh, uh, you know, infiltration into these major institutions. Well, I shouldn't say some believe, that's a fact. Uh, the magnitude of that hopefully will be unearthed in some of the forthcoming congressional hearings. Right after that, though, I would put, as you correctly said, the World Economic Forum, an, an organization that I would guarantee a very small percentage of Americans have ever even heard about, much less um, you know, looked at in great detail, and for good reason. It's not an entity that is elected. It's not really directly accountable for anyone. And like you said, it's uh, you know founded in 1971. That's 52 years ago. Um, it's based in Europe. It has a kind of Eurocentric outlook on the world, and its predominant membership are are are, are corporations. Which you would think that the the global left that we kind of associate with having momentum right now politically would have a real problem with this, but they've just gravitated to this. And it's not just any companies, it's important to point out. These are the largest companies in the world, over 5 billion uh, in revenue. And you, you typically, 
categorized as large capitalization companies. I mean, they're publicly traded on, on major stock exchanges, almost certainly on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ in the United States. Uh, they're, they're well capitalized. They have the luxury um, to do strategic well-financed initiatives. And one of the great losses, I believe, really, over the last decade has been the fact that while clearly education, media, uh, the bureaucracy, uh, high culture, low culture, all these entities that are so influential have been taken over by the left sports even to some extent. We always said, well, the private sector will hold that at bay. They have not hold it at bay, held it at bay. These companies have jumped right in to this agenda and the agenda itself is enormously troubling and it's filled frankly, intellectually, which I think is the opportunity we have on a bunch of fallacies, um, some of which are environmental hysteria. This is very much at the centerpiece of it. They more or less want to get rid of carbon-based emissions in the world. Of course, we never point this out, but I think it's part of our deficiency in explaining all this. The correlation between CO2 emissions and environmental health is very much ongoing um, debate and, and a lot of scrutiny associated with it. Um, there's often represented that there's scientific consensus on this, but those scientists are not climate scientists. They're mm -hmm. often people that have no real deep understanding of it. And what they would do with this agenda is really grind Western and Western alone in uh, industry because it's not as much as it's a global organization. They're not forcing China uh, or uh, India. Let's just focus on that. Yeah. India to, to um, uh, play by these rules. They're setting different standards that would essentially, in my view, lay the groundwork for us to be surpassed and maybe surpassed fairly quickly as the world's really the largest economy, the, the, the most vibrant economy in the history of the world. Uh, so there's the environmental component, other components about how they're trying to reshape corporate entities, um, again, on, on, on really questionable uh, underlying statistical or factual assessments. And one of those is, you know, the ESG program, which some may have heard about, which would essentially restructure the purpose of a company. You know, so what is the purpose of a company historically? Well, we've always been told, especially a publicly traded company, is to maximize your return for shareholders. And in so doing, that not alone that shareholders would be a beneficiary of that, but as they seek to do that, you know, they would be serving customers. In, in, in a constructive and positive way, and obviously providing products and services and hopefully in an innovative, ongoing, uh, ingoing, ongoing innovative way that um, serve real legitimate customer needs. Not in the World Economic Forum that they will uh, rest restructure the purpose of a company, they've got a lot of company, many companies, an extraordinary amount of companies and, and large ones especially on board with redefining this as supporting what they call stakeholder capitalism, which is not capitalism because ultimately it's, um, and they're very good at the phraseology on all this, but stakeholder capitalism would arbitrarily sort of select who the beneficiaries and the focus of the company should be on. 
so they talk about unions, they talk about the community, they talk about, um, you know, other, you know, stakeholders that interact with companies. And none of this is really ever really defined with any precision because in the precision lies all the controversy and the detail is that, you know, if you don't like the fact that the market drives these economies that we reward, you know, executives, for instance, for performance, we, we're, we, we, punish them and, and punitively for, uh, you know, for uh, lack of performance. Uh, in the absence of that sort of structure where it's a performance-driven economy, who would actually make these decisions? You know, who would sit behind the room, you know, behind the closed doors and say, these are going to be the beneficiaries of our corporate focus. This is the new, um, the entities. That's never really particularly well answered, but let me just say that, you can safely assume the worst that these guys have been fully captured entity of globalist far left thinking. And um, that would mean that the beneficiaries are entities that are very much aligned and a part of this agenda. And I think you, you mentioned the conspiracy thinking. Um, I'll just say two things about that. Number one, that's never helpful to us when we seek to bring scrutiny to any issue, and that is to speculate or to, to have conjecture that's not founded in fact about what's going on. So it's kind of set us back a little bit. But in, I guess, in a little bit of fairness, I think where do these, where does that sort of thinking ever emerge? It always emerges when you've got some degree of powerful forces in the world, usually involving governments, and governments are clearly involved uh, with World Economic Forum and and large companies to which people feel disengaged operating in a closed fashion and not being fully transparent or accountable. That's where people start to say, well, what are you, what are you actually hiding? The answer here is probably a whole lot more than we even realize about what they're hiding. And I think they have been the final point here emboldened by the fact that they have made incredible progress with some really ultimately very unappealing ideas across some of the most influential sectors in the world. And, you know, I'll just give you one glaring example is, <clears throat> you know, I have a formal education in economics. Um, I was talking to a few colleagues, they're like, you call yourself an economist, it's a function, not anything more. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But I mean, that is kind of like the foundation. And, you know, so I've spent a lot of time reading business media. If you read business media like 20 years ago, and I'm talking about Forbes, Fortune, Business Week, or the more academic, like the MIT Management Journal or Harvard Business Review, and you picked those up like over the last few years, or if you looked at them today, which maybe you haven't, you wouldn't recognize these. I mean, I mean, Forbes used to be Steve Forbes, you know, kind of out front. Yeah. That magazine was sold and it's it full, it's filled with all of this WEF. I want to say it's like repetitious propaganda, frankly. It just doesn't ever seem to um, stop. And and it never it's never particularly innovative or appealing writing either. It's just enormously repetitious. But it's drilling home in an effective way, which is the recipe and the culture under which really bad things tend to happen, is that things are different now. All of a sudden, because of COVID especially, we can't go back to normal. Well, why can't we go back to normal? That's never really fully explained. But 
everything is prefaced in light of the pandemic. Yeah, Therefore, we need to do all these things that we would never sensibly or thoughtfully do on our own initiative in any other set of circumstances. We need to push back on that. Um, obviously, this has been enormously disruptive, costly on human terms, costly in economic terms, um, probably costly in, in, in very emotional ways. It's no doubt about that. That's why we need to hold China accountable for their role in it. But I, but it doesn't change the underlying fundamentals about what does and does not work, uh, both in a market economy and in a free society. It doesn't give government the the, the green light to begin censoring uh, people or or taking controls that they haven't historically. Uh, had or that they're not constitutionally afforded. Michael, have you been able to put your finger on what the motivation is for these globalists, for these people, uh, for the quote, the great reset, unquote? A, a considerable amount of time trying to like dive into the motivations because those are, it, within the motivations, you can really understand a lot more about what the real agenda is. And I would say in this case, you know, you have this, I think 83-year-old German management professor, Klaus Schwab, very unappealing guy, nothing genius about him um, on the surface, who was originally attracted to some of the deficiencies that he saw in capitalism. You know, is, is he a Marxist? I don't think I would define it in those terms in traditional, which, and of course, Marxism has a really deep and rich history in German uh, academia. Mm -hmm. But he clearly, for decades since this 1971 founding, has been hitting home the stakeholder agenda, which I think is his way of upending the system. And, and it gained no traction, it gained no traction, but it's like many things in politics you are put or in public policy or in the, the broader influence debate over these issues. You push, you push, you push, you're not making a headway, you're not making a headway. And then finally he's had this breakthrough. And um, the breakthrough I think is designed essentially to upend the West as we know it. Um, there's a certain degree of almost anti-Americanism within it in the sense that um, we're continuing, continually on the receiving end of all of these edicts that this unelected entity and unelected leader have um they're not telling our primary foes in the world what to do they wouldn't dare and um we're depicted in ways that are i think uh, wholly unfair to the magnitude of promise and accomplishment that is associated with the united states of america the greatest country in the history of the world and um that's dangerous because one of the things we're going through right now as you obviously noted it's been at least a decade or longer of really both subtle and then bold levels of attacks on our founding principles on our founding fathers on our history all designed to get i think americans especially younger and perhaps less educated americans failing to understand the great country that they've had the good fortune of being born into. So they've been very much at that, particularly as it relates to, I think, an effort to take over essentially private sector. And, and by the way, this would also crush, in my view, smaller businesses, which has always, I guess, to some extent, uh, been a big business agenda. That's why we have 
um, you know, a, a very strong antitrust and other regulations on the books that prevent companies from getting too big. But this would further empower uh, big business. It would wed the power of big business to other influential entities and create the sort of climate in which the individual and smaller community-based, family-owned small businesses, which historically have been the greatest job creators in the country, would uh, become less and less influential and they ultimately would go away. The year 2024 must be the year of the Patriot, and AmericaOutloud.news will equip you with all the information you need to give new meaning to the words Patriot Act, for our actions always ultimately define our words. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio, Liberty and justice for all. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use CofixRx because it works. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Loud. Lean, pure, with premium ingredients. Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop, and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion, and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Make sure you take advantage of the shop at americaoutloud.news. Go in there and check out the great products, including Healrite. Check that out. It's a brand new advertiser. They sent me a bunch of these bars. It's for health. It's for your gut. It's for metabolism. It, it takes care of your health in a whole lot of ways. Uh, go to americaoutloud.news slash shop. Check out Healrite. Use the promo code OUTLOUD to get 25% off your next order for that. 
I'm Booker Scott, and this is The Truth Be Told, and we're visiting with Michael Johns. I mentioned him earlier being a a speechwriter, and he also was the founder of the Tea Party. I I also consider him a friend after the last few years. And Michael, you mentioned ESG and stakeholders. A couple of trigger words there within the World Economic Forum and this great reset that they're trying to put us through. Just to clarify what the ESG is, that is environmental social governance. And when you look at environmental, think of the Green New Deal. Uh, When you think of social, think wokeness. And sort of, that defines exactly what we've been seeing with President Joe Biden the last three years. He's He's been doing all of that for three years. So, Michael, is Biden leading the charge in this? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, um, not that I, and which is intriguing because, like most of the really destructive things he's doing, while well, I've never been a, a fan of of him, uh, and uh, and he has made errors of judgment. They've never been. You've never would have historically looked at him as mm-hmm. this sort of ideologue. No. Um, but uh, he is, as many people are seeing either seeing the political and other opportunities associated with aligning with this or maybe just doesn't in which i think is also true broadly in 2023 doesn't have the spine the backbone to stand up and say no this is not the direction we're we're going yeah um and and we're by the way so we're talking about a really extensive number of companies i mean you can go on the nasdaq website for instance i ran um, I was on the executive management team of a NASDAQ traded Fortune 1000 company. I ran investor relations. So, you know, in, in um, uh, was very familiar with, with the NASDAQ. None of this existed w- when I was there. You now have whole sections there, not only where they're introducing and um, creating, you know, a, a plan for NASDAQ traded companies to, adopt these these policies but they are they actually have an enti- entities within nasdaq that work with companies both to tell you know to tell their story their esg story about the things they're doing again it's this, it's very sophisticated politically to build momentum uh behind the effort and maybe to guilt those who aren't as far along with it and then to adopt it and and then how do you measure like how do you measure the results on this we all know how to measure results historically in a company and not just financial ones. You can measure customer service satisfaction. You can me- measure product and service satisfaction. And ultimately, obviously you're going to measure, you know, shareholder return and um, revenue growth, profitability. This is a whole very subjective set of metrics. And it's frankly not what a company is designed to do. There's a lot of role for, activity in these sectors. No one's saying that they're not potentially advantageous initiatives, but they're not the role of companies. And and if they become the role of companies, what doesn't become the role of companies? Well, it's going to be innovation, growth. All of a sudden growth is not that matter. So if you, and you can see, and this is the way I look at it. Like I, tr- I try to think, how does that first presentation go? when you were um, going in with these ESG standards and you're either meeting with a, you know, an executive management team or maybe a board of directors or, or say it's just a CEO and uh, alone. And you say, you know, all these historical metrics of shareholder return and 
and growth and profitability that have that have been under which you've been measured and which companies have been measured. Yeah, just suspend all that. We're not going to do that any longer. We're a whole other different set of um, objectives. That's a, almost a revolutionary message, and how it gained foothold even in one case to me is astonishing. Much less the way it has just been a tidal wave through big business. I'm not aware. I guess I, I think there might be some energy companies um, that are pushing back a little bit, probably because they have equal concern about the associated green energy, which is, you know, entirely flawed initiative to its core. And and Michael, uh, we also have component. the we also have the digital currency that's a part of this, and we have yeah, 12, but, 12 yeah, There's a, there's this yeah. is an entire overhaul. Like okay, so twenty twenty, um, you know, is when they really un unveiled what was called the global reset. And that's intriguing time because they, you know, they kind of waited and this has historically been true with Marxists and it's been true with most totalitarian political movements that they see in chaos or disruption, the, uh, the opportunity to advance ideas that we would never go for. You know, there's a saying Mao had, he says, you know, everything under the sun is, I don't want discombobulated or in chaos. The situation is perfect, right? Not, gee, this is horrible. So chaos is an ally of totalitarian political movements. Stability and happiness and satisfaction, conversely, um, which I would say largely or historically been associated with Ameri American generations, uh, are, are are reinforcing that we're doing the right things, and that's the danger of the moment right now. Is so we have Americans who I think very subjectively understand that the country is moving in very dangerous directions, and now it's not just that they're observing it, but they're feeling it with inflationary pressures, with access to credit, with uncertainties about uh, how to pay for homes or um, education and in the corruption of core institutions that they've come to rely on like primary education and what's happening to their kids in schools that they're apparently not you know even informed about uh, dramatic things these are terrifying things but they're terrifying especially which i think is my main point right now if you're facing them alone right if you're not it, it the good news which is what we have to fall back on is we have a country and i think this is true in the west largely generally, that doesn't buy into this agenda. And we have, so we have the people with us and we have the better ideas. I mean, we're not trying to force some secret agenda um, on anyone. We don't have alternative motives. We want the best for the country. But, but if we don't have the operational side of things down, I mean, we don't know how to get things done. Um, we don't know how to advance policies. We don't know how to work collaboratively and in a unified way, or we're distracted, which I think we often are with sort of the shiny object of the moment, or we don't take this seriously. It's all a big meme to us and a joke. Mm -hmm. This is no joke. No. This is one of the most serious moments, certainly since the Civil War. I mean, let's just say this is that, that really since the Civil War, the future of our country has never been more uncertain in my view, but it's not too late if we can adopt and adapt in, in an operational way 
to ensure that bad ideas are held at bay and good ones are uplifted and ultimately uh, prevail. And you know we'll what? We'll never get that done if we're not working together. We'll never get that done together. We'll never get that done if we're not um, strategic in the way we approach it. And that means, obviously, really, there's nothing more seriously that, that we could be engaged in. And I don't know why that should be surprising to anyone, because every, I think everyone on, on our side who does sort of kind of what I do in the way of making these arguments intellectually and, and in a policy and political way, always prefaces it by saying, you know, the future of the world, the future of the United States is on the line. Well, if that's true, why are our operational tactics not rise to that level? Because they don't. You know, Michael, you and I speak on the phone sometimes about some of these things, and we go into great detail, at least you do with me. You do a lot of the talking, but you have a lot of knowledge. As we look now at where this world is and, and our country, who do you blame? Who do we blame? Who takes the responsibility for allowing all of this to happen? Well, it's my view and big part of my message the last few years that I think we it's too easy for us to look at the uh, malicious, malevolent forces of the world that seek to undermine the, the values and, um, and our country uh, and just simply blame them. That's easy, but there's nothing new there, really. I mean, since, you know, really the first shot at Concord, we have faced major opposition around the world and in our own country that we've been able to beat back by presenting better ideas <clears throat> and by succeeding uh, and working together toward that. What's different now and why, why I believe we're vulnerable and why really fairly alien agendas like this have made you know, in a, in a, like I said, in an, in an organization that has no accountability, no one elected them, no one really asked for their opinion, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, such, you know, progress is the disorganization, the <clears throat> lack of collaborative, uh, unified approach to the, what I would describe as the conservative or patriot movement in the country, which can comp- comprises the vast, vast majority of the American people. I mean, they might not be involved, but they're aligned with us. And those people over the last few decades have largely, you know, if they haven't been engaged in this, have often turned and supported financially and in other ways, organizations to fight those battles for them. So when we had, as we did in 2020, questions about the election integrity and even the legitimacy of the president, when we had, you know, the outrageous departure in Afghanistan, leaving $85 billion in military equipment behind, Mm -hmm. when we had this border crisis, which is not just a ongoing national security and economic threat, but one that will continue to be with us for for a long time, which is transforming the country they anticipated that this movement would arise to do what they were not positioned to do and that is to fight it back not just to write about it not to make fun of it not to joke about it but to actually engage in this battle and win so in many ways if you want to take anything constructive away from the world economic forum which isn't a forum at all because they, there's no no they're not really deliberating on these ideas. They know exactly what they want to do. Right, right. And no, there would be no. And while Trump had a chance to speak there, and um, I think twenty Bolson, Bolsonaro, who's a you know a I think largely looks at the world 
the way we do in Brazil, spoke there, and Modi, who I think is a good um, uh, leader in India and has the right instincts usually, is spoken there. You, it's it's otherwise just been completely run on a top-down basis by this left-of-center operatives who understand what I'm saying, which is that you need cross-functional collaboration. And by that, I mean, you know, it's not even just politics or public policy. In this case, it's included big business. It's included nonprofit organizations. They got the UN. They have the World Bank. Almost every multinational institution is at a presence. Or they, involvement. Uh, they have the media. Those things don't just happen. You yeah. have to go out and make them happen. Right. And they have the media. And we need to do that. Yeah. We need to do that. We need to we need to determine are the institutions that we're relying upon even sufficient for us to be able to prevail in in this debate and battle? Uh, do we need new ones? Do some of them do we need to vet them more carefully? They clearly have not uh, taken these issues on. And I'm going to tell you, it's it takes a lot in the way of human character and demeanor to do so you can't just sort of assume that people are going to gravitate and and walk toward the fire uh they'll walk away from the fire usually but the point is they're being paid to walk to the fire mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that they're not afraid by the of the fire and sadly i think we've attracted a lot of people into this domain and leadership capacities in congress in think tanks in DC-based organizations who are not um, made for this moment in this battle um, and have predictably, I don't even want to say failed, but not even engaged in this in any in any serious way. And if you're not, if we're not serious, we're not unified, we're not collaborative, then the the most horrible ideas will advance. And I think, frankly, on the other side. I think this is true with China's Communist Party. I think it's true with the World Economic Forum. They think the conservative movement, the patriot movement in the United States and the West generally is kind of a paper tiger, you know, that it will make some noise, it'll complain, but ultimately when the rubber hits the road, that it doesn't have the ability to be formidable and, and actually stop the advance of this agenda, which let's be honest, the people don't, people don't support. No one would support these ideas if they're put up for a referendum, which is why they don't want them in a referendum, why they're working behind the scenes to force them on institutions. So they just become de facto realities. Mm -hmm. they, they take it to the universities, they take it to the big corporations, and it becomes a right. part of the fabric of, and we, of the but, nation. But the point is, we the point that I'm making, which I don't think many on our side have either made or I don't know if it's even realized it or if they're reluctant to make it is that it's not like we didn't have well-financed organizations that were ostensibly involved with making sure that all these vital institutions like academia, like primary education, like media. I mean, we still have organizations out there that do nothing but point out media bias. Didn't we establish that fact 20 years ago? That the media was biased. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're now, and it, we're, we're, our focus now has to be on either creating the institutions or in motivating and directing those that exist for the magnitude of this battle that's damned, because this is something that is in my involvement 
uh, unprecedented in the, in the means that, that you just see the magnitude of resources and passion, energy, and commitment that exists on the other side. And on our side, there's passion and commitment too, but it's very disjointed. Mm-hmm. And um, and you cannot expect, and I, I say this with all due respect for the American people who I'm in this for alone, that they're going to conclude individually what exactly they should do. So routinely I'm presented with the question of what should we do about all this? Well, we really need to be able to answer that. And in the case of the World Economic Forum and all of its subcomponent agendas, there needs to be a deliberative institutional commitment to build the coalitions and, and programs and efforts that are designed to preserve the greatness of American uh, society. We are not, by the way, if you're on the environment alone, if you if you woke up tomorrow and you did believe, which I don't, that we face an imminent colossal threat to the world in our lifetimes by current practices, you would not start with in hit with constraining CO2 emissions in the wet in Western Europe or the United States. You would start with the world's largest polluter in China. But the World Economic mm-hmm. Forum exempts them. They talk about human rights in some of their phraseology and some of their white papers. They didn't say one word about the genocide of the Uyghurs mm-hmm. in China because it's inconvenient to them politically and they're aligned with with them. So the, the these are not people who are sincere with what they're talking about. We have challenges that exist right now in the world that that demand that many of which go back to uh, China. And if you're gonna exempt yourself from criticizing China, you're you're missing the greatest um, threats to humanity that exists in the world today. And thanks so much for Michael Johns joining us here on the program on The Truth Be Told with Booker Scott. I am Booker Scott. And thank you so much for joining. I really do appreciate you. You were told 2,000 years ago that you are the salt of the earth, and salt without flavor, it has no value. So keep being salty. There is only one truth. You've been listening to The Truth Be Told with Booker Scott on America Out Loud.